Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 586 for the 1st of April, 2018. This week, if there is one upside about the situation involving Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, it is that more people now seem to be taking privacy and security seriously. Let's consider some steps you can take right now. In short circuits, Adobe is ending support for its Muse website development tool in 2019, but promises to have a replacement by then. Firefox users can install a new plugin to keep Facebook from learning about what you do on other sites, but be sure to understand all the implications before installing it. In spare parts, only on the website, Android phones are more customizable than Apple phones. That means there are more ways for crooks to get at your data. Malwarebytes has some suggestions. PureVPN has made free versions of its plugins for Firefox and Chrome. The paid version is better, but the plugins are great for those who need limited access to VPNs. Microsoft has released patched patches to fix Intel's hardware flaw. Patches pushed out in January and February actually made the problem worse on 32-bit Windows 7 systems. Today's program is dated April Fool's Day, but this is no joke. Does it seem strange to you that people who post huge amounts of personal information on services like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and others are suddenly now aware that others might be able to see this information? Not just Cambridge Analytica, but companies that run Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all the other services, and the people who buy information from them. How can this be a surprise to anyone, though? If you listen to the radio, you are the product that the station sells to its customers. Customers are the advertisers. Likewise, if you watch television or use any free service on the Internet, you are the product. Nothing is free. If someone is providing a service that you use but don't pay money for, you're paying in some other way. You are the product. I think I mentioned that. So then, is it any surprise that both the company that provides the free service and the advertisers would want to know more about you? Maybe you're thinking about dropping your Facebook account. There's been a lot of talk about that. But what viable alternative is there? Facebook provides entertainment, and it provides a lot of useful services. When my older daughter was ill last year, it was a great way to keep distant family members updated. My wife has used it to find relatives in West Virginia and in Poland. I belong to groups for old radio people, editors, photographers, punsters, my hometown, and more. It's useful. I read posts by Jim Wright. He's an old Navy guy who can be both profound and profane. He adds this perspective, and I quote, For all of its problems, it's still a huge communication system that allows me to reach 150,000 people every day. Wright says that he is careful about posting personal information because he knows that Facebook and any other capitalist organization is more about profits 
than about protecting users. He adds, at the moment, I get more out of Facebook than they get out of me, so I'm going to stick around. So am I. But maybe it's time to be a little more proactive about our own private information. So today's program includes some ways you can do that on Facebook and elsewhere. Let's start with Facebook. As I've written previously, last week as a matter of fact, Facebook users should opt out of Platform Application Program Interface Sharing, API Sharing. How to do that is in last week's program. If you disable that service, you will lose access to apps, plugins, games, and websites on Facebook and elsewhere. Facebook makes that sound scary. It's not. If you have used Facebook credentials to access other sites, you will need to create a new username and password for each of those sites. But every site you use should have its own credentials, not depend on some other site for authentication. Next, before posting a message to Facebook, think about who should be able to see it. Public means exactly that. As Facebook describes it, anyone on or off Facebook. You can limit individual posts to just your friends, friends with certain exceptions, a list of specific friends, only yourself, or a custom list. Why limit a message to being visible only to you? Well, it's useful for testing. Messages that contain personal details that you might not want to be public should have limited distribution. But keep in mind that anyone who sees the information in that limited distribution can still share it, even if you don't want it to be shared. You can also change the default setting in the privacy section if you don't want public to be the default setting. In the same section, you can change settings for how people can locate and communicate with you. Check out all the images on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. Facebook uses facial recognition technology to automatically tag images. That's handy, but it's a service you might want to turn off. The timeline and tagging section controls, among other things, whether you get to see posts to your page before they become visible to others. I recommend turning that on. While you're making adjustments to Facebook, it's also worthwhile to visit the Add Settings section. That's because this is where you will find out what Facebook thinks it knows about you. Check the Your Information tab and decide which information, if any, you want to expose to advertisers. Then take a look nearer the top of the page for some very light gray text. Your Categories, it says. It's near the top of the Your Information section. Click that and you'll find a list of categories. Birthday month, political leaning, interests, hardware used, and a lot more. Here's what Facebook says about this section, and I quote, the categories in this section help advertisers reach people who are most likely to be interested in their products, services, and causes. We have added you to these categories based on information you've provided on Facebook and other activity. Except for that, Facebook provides very little information about how this section works. It appears, though, that active categories, those are the ones that advertisers can see, will be in dark text with an X option, and inactive categories, those that advertisers presumably cannot see, will be in light text with a plus option. Changing some or all of these from selected to deselected probably obscures them from advertisers. 
I set all of them to deselected, reloaded the page, and Facebook told me, you do not have any behaviors in your ad preferences. Maybe that's good. Maybe not. Later in the podcast, we'll talk about something that Firefox users can do to make Facebook a little more safe. That's in short circuits, coming up. For now, let's move on to Google. If you search for something on Google, you will immediately start seeing ads for it. Now, that's not all bad. After all, if you're looking for a widget, those who make or sell widgets would like to introduce themselves to you, and because you're looking for a widget, you might welcome the ads. One problem is that the ads continue to appear long after you've bought the widget or decided not to buy one. There are ways to avoid this. The easiest involves using a search engine that does not track you. And yes, these do exist. So let me tell you about some of them. And I used each of these search engines to look for LED lights. That's something I might want to buy. And chimpanzee. That's a topic I might want to know more about. All of them provided results that were more or less acceptable. One called DuckDuckGo seems to offer the best results, so that would be a good choice as a default search engine. For times when you need Google, you can use one of the other search engines that connects to Google via a proxy. And for an unusual approach, take a look at Swiss Cows and Lucol. Wolfram Alpha is unique. While it would generally not be a good default search engine, it is wonderful for some searches. So DuckDuckGo probably the best-known non-tracking search engine. It does display ads. In fact, most of these do. That's how this service is paid for. But it doesn't add your information to a file anywhere. If you don't want to spend a lot of time looking at other search engines, just add this one. There's Gigablast. It doesn't track searches, but it does offer direct links to Google, Bing, and Yandex. It is unclear whether these are sent via a proxy. They should be. Lucal says that it's powered by Google Custom Search, so you might wonder how that differs from just using Google. Well, it uses a proxy server to separate you from Google. And this search engine displays more images than most right in line with the search results. If you're visually oriented, you may really like that one. Manager is a German search engine, so it must comply with European Union privacy rules. To accomplish this, it uses a proxy server to allow opening a link from the search page without revealing your IP address to the site you go to. Oscobo is a British search engine. Users in the United States might find the results disappointing. Disconnect Me uses DuckDuckGo as its default, but it can also use Bing or Yahoo. Searches are passed directly through to DuckDuckGo and are sent via a proxy for Bing and Yahoo. By the way, there are links to each of these search engines on this week's TechBiter Worldwide program, www.techbiter.com. One called Start Search also uses Google and runs searches through a proxy. Swiss Cows, formerly known as Holby, starts with a text map of the most popular recent search terms. That's an amusing difference that's of questionable value. After you enter a search term, though, you'll see results and another text map with relevant search terms. It's much more useful at this point. And one called Yippy returns a list that can be used to filter the search results in a way similar to the word map at Swiss Cows. And out of alphabetical order, but right at the end here, Wolfram Alpha. It's a specialized search engine. It does not catalog commercial sites. 
My LED Lights Search returned information about the inventor of the technology and how it works. The Chimpanzee Search provided the scientific name, pantroglodytes, and the full taxonomy, information about typical size, weight, and lifespan of a chimpanzee, and a lot more. Now, this is not a site you'd go to if you want to buy something, but if you need scientific information, it's just right. It's also the only paid site on the list. Although general information is free, more detailed responses will cost you 5 to $8 per month. If you want to continue using Google, you can at least purge your search results. Start on the Google Activity page. You'll see how to get there on the TechBiter Worldwide website. There, you may be astonished by what Google has retained. Google says only you can see this data. Google protects your privacy and security. Even so, you might want to eliminate some of it. Google explains the full process on their support site. There's also a link to that from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Lots of links this week. On the activity page, click the vertical dots icon that Google uses to indicate a menu and choose Delete Activity By. Then choose whether you want to delete all search history or just the history for certain dates. In my case, Google had a list of search terms back to August 11, 2013. Google will try to dissuade you from deleting the old information. Keeping some of the more recent terms could actually be helpful. In fact, that's what I decided to do. And by the way, if you choose to delete the history, you will need to revisit the activity page from time to time and repeat the process. So I deleted everything before January 1st, 2018. If you choose to continue to use Google, you can turn off ad personalization, but think twice before you do that. Turning off personalization does not turn off the ads. It just makes them less useful. Google explains that this way, and I quote, You'll still see ads, but they'll be less useful to you. You'll no longer be able to block or mute some ads. Ads you see may be based on the subject of the web page that you're viewing. Topics saved in your ads settings will also be removed. So my choice there was to leave personalization turned on. Here's something that Google says, and again I quote, Google does not give our partners information you provide us that personally identifies you, such as your name, email, or billing information, unless you ask us to. We never sell your personal information. Well, that's both true and false. Google doesn't provide personal identification information, but data scientists have clearly shown that sufficient information is provided over time that, although it doesn't specifically identify you, does make it possible for you to be identified when used in conjunction with other online resources. So the fact is, no matter what you do, a lot of people are going to know a lot about you. What about some of the other services and devices, though? Well, if you use a personal assistant, Cortana, Jiri, for example, or a smart device that lets you talk to it, like an Amazon Echo, it's a good idea to review what the system knows about you and possibly purge some of the information. Most of these devices do allow you to delete all history or selected history. Understand, though, that these devices learn about you and are able to respond better once they know your preferences, just like a real-life personal assistant. Most large companies tell their employees to assume that telephones and computers owned by the company and provided to employees will be monitored. 
maybe we should assume the same thing when we're dealing with online services. Jim Wright put it this way in a recent column, I assume that my communications are being monitored. I don't talk about anything in Facebook Messenger that would embarrass me in public. And I don't give Facebook any information that I don't expect them to exploit for their own profit. In short circuits, Adobe is ending support for Muse. After May 20th, 2019, Adobe will have only a single devoted website development tool, Dreamweaver. Muse, which had been created to appeal to designers who didn't want to learn the complexities of HTML5 and CSS3, was a worthy effort, but it never seemed to quite catch on. The announcement from Adobe says the company is refocusing on developing products and solutions that provide customers with the most value. That means there will be no new feature development for Adobe Muse CC. The final update to Muse was released on March 26th. Development began eight years ago. The company says the trends in website development have changed since then. No kidding. Non-technical website builders could opt to learn the basics of the code behind the pages, and Dreamweaver's built-in code hinting and other features make that process a lot easier than it used to be. But for those who want to avoid code entirely, Adobe suggests three options. First, those who are building complex websites and applications can switch to Adobe XD, the experience design tool. The company notes that XD does not generate web-ready code as Muse did. Instead, it allows users to design, prototype, and collaborate to develop sites. Second, those who are building a website to showcase their creative work could use Adobe Portfolio to create portfolio websites that can be connected with the Behance platform. And third, those who need to build one-page websites photo stories, for example, or newsletters or landing pages, can use Adobe Spark Page to create responsive pages. So out of those three options, if nothing quite works, Adobe does have one more trick up its corporate sleeve. Adobe is developing a do-it-yourself website creation application and suggests that Muse users should sign up for a pre-release program that will be introduced later this year as part of Adobe Spark. It's not clear at this time whether the new program will be like Wix or something else entirely. For those who are using Muse but don't want to switch, the good news is that it will continue to function after May 20th, 2019. The only change is that there will be no additional program updates. Websites created with Muse and hosted on a commercial hosting service will continue to operate normally, but any sites hosted on Adobe's Business Catalyst will have to be moved to a new host. Mozilla is the developer of the Firefox browser, which millions of people use to connect to Facebook. Mozilla has also been a Facebook advertiser, but the advertising is currently turned off. 
Mozilla may return as an advertiser, but it has also taken an action that it says will make it much harder for Facebook to track you when you're visiting other sites. You'll have to activate the feature, though, and you should think about it before you do. Not all users will like what happens, so be sure to understand the functionality before you install the add-on. Also note that if you log on to Facebook using a mobile iOS or Android app, the Firefox protections will not be in place. They work only when you log on to Facebook using an instance of Firefox that has the add-in installed. The Facebook container, that's what they call it, is an add-on available from Tools, Add-ons, Get Add-ons. Scroll down to the bottom of the screen, click See More Add-ons, and then search for Facebook Container. Then you can add it to Firefox. The add-on isolates your Facebook identity by deleting Facebook's cookies and logging you out of Facebook. The next time you navigate to Facebook, you will need to log in again, and the tab will now have a blue bar below the word Facebook. If you click on a non-Facebook link or navigate to a non-Facebook website in the URL bar, the pages will load outside the container. Clicking Facebook Share buttons on other browser tabs will load them within the Facebook container, but the information from those tabs will still be passed to Facebook. Embedded Facebook comments and buttons in tabs outside the Facebook container will no longer work. Now that's expected because Facebook is being prohibited from associating information from websites outside of Facebook to your Facebook identity. If you're using Facebook credentials to log on to other sites, you're going to need to create a new account for each of those sites. This will already be the case if you've opted out of platform application program interface sharing, as I recommended previously. Mozilla explains its reason for creating the add-on this way. Rather than stop using a service you find valuable, we think you should be able to have tools to limit what data others can obtain. This extension focuses on limiting Facebook tracking, but other ad networks may try to correlate your Facebook activities with your regular browsing. In addition to this extension, you can change your Facebook settings, use private browsing, enable tracking protection, block third-party cookies, and use the Firefox multi-account containers extension to further limit tracking. Wow, sounds like a lot of work. When Facebook is open and you navigate to another website using the same tab, you'll see the new website will be loaded outside of the container, and you will not be able to navigate back to Facebook using the back button on the browser. This is a useful extension for users who value their privacy. Just make sure you understand what's going on, otherwise you might be very annoyed. With any amount of luck, you will not be annoyed at all by spare parts. You'll find it only on the website. This week, Android phones are more customizable than Apple phones. That means there are more ways for crooks to get your data. Malwarebytes has some suggestions that might help. Pure VPN has made free versions of its plugins for Firefox and Chrome. The paid version is still better, but the plugins are great for those who have limited needs. And Microsoft has released patched patches to fix Intel's hardware flaw. Patches pushed out in January and February made the problem worse, but only on 32-bit Windows 7 systems. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com and if you like, 
send me an email from there. See you next week.